0: This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter.
1: And I am Seth Haynes.
0: It feels like it's been a while, Seth. What you drinking? Oh
1: man, it's been too long. I am drinking just the standard swill, man. Just the... Water
0: or coffee?
1: <laughs> nah, the, the Keurig coffee uh. of doom. I've mm-hmm. been editing all day today, which means I haven't had a real chance to go downstairs and grab a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So my lovely friends at Hail Mel- Fellow, Well-Met, uh, John and Andrea, who brew the best cup of coffee in America, Onyx Coffee, which they also roast, mm-hmm. um, have not received my patronage dollars really <laughs> today.
0: <laughs> which reminds so me, I was at 309, well, I was there this morning, but a few days ago I noticed on their shelves is Onyx Coffee for sale. So I'm going to get Come it on. next time we need a bag. I know. Pretty cool, yeah, huh? You
1: should. You should get it. You know, every, um, uh, every dollar of profit that goes to one bag of Onyx coffee goes to Northwest Arkansas. So there you go. <laughs> so thank you yes. for supporting me.
0: You're welcome in your great time of need. Uh, cool. All and
1: right. By, and by me, what, by me, what I really mean is my region. Uh, what are you drinking
0: well, it doesn't quite fit the weather, which is delightfully in the 50s, which is cold here for Central Texas. I'm drinking an Arnold Palmer, which is weird.
1: That is. Do you know what that is?
0: Half lemonade, half tea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're from the South, too. I don't yeah. know why I'm drinking it. It just sounded good. And now I'm kind of regretting it because it's a bit too sweet. But I'm here. Mm. I've got it. Are you, a, I'm also, are you in a
1: golf a golfy mood?
0: No, not at all. My mm. my daughter Tate and I are both into Arnold Arnold Palmer's, which is, by the way, very hard to say. Um, we kind of just usually say Arnold Palmer because it's Primer? too hard to say. Arnold Palmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also double-fisting it with black coffee, which sounds really gross, and I don't recommend at the same time. So
1: does it, it does it just sound really gross, or is it actually really gross?
0: I haven't like sipped both at the same time, but I would imagine it's gross. But one after the other is not great either. So do mm-hmm. not recommend. I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird day anyway.
1: One star. One star. Do not recommend. <laughs> Would not
0: recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's the holidays, or it's almost the holidays, and that's very, very, very weird. It doesn't seem. And I time. need to
1: ask you this question, and I know mm-hmm. this is going to come out post Thanksgiving, but we like the day it after pre- Thanksgiving. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. But we're recording it pre-Thanksgiving, and so the question that I have for you is: When do you let the holidays into your heart?
0: You are the second person to ask me this today, and probably like well, a version of that. and probably like the fourth or fifth person to ask this week. So I think it's in the air. People are wondering, like, should I be celebrating? Do I feel, is it weird that I either really, really want to already or maybe the other way that I don't feel it yet? So for me, it just depends on the year. There are times when I'm like ready for it by mid-October. And there are times where I'm like, it's, You know, a week before Christmas, and it still doesn't feel like the holidays. Mm -hmm. This year is kind of in the middle for me. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for Advent. I feel like the fall has gone too fast. Like, in some ways, it feels like it should still be August. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I'm kind of trying to hurry or catch up or whatever the phrase is. Insert witty comment here about how time flies. Um, How about you?
1: Um, well, I have a hard and fast rule and my family has a hard and fast rule, which is like pre Thanksgiving, there is no Christmas or Advent in the heart Mm -hmm. of man. It's it's and and part of that I think is because um one of the things we want to talk about today is like why why do we even have these like -hmm. hard and fast rules about calendars? I think part of it for us is like we are already witnessing the commercialization of Christmas this early, which yeah, I think if it were like just people putting up their decorations, you know, just like hanging their lights or whatever. I mean, we we had our first snow before Thanksgiving, like appreciable snow, like three inches or two inches or something um, this week. And so wow. there's a sense in which like it's time to put up the lights. Like I'm feeling that that like... Time um but it's not that that is driving us bonkers. It's the endless commercials that we're already seeing, the jingle bells that we've been hearing for you know several weeks um, and it just feels like hey, hey, we're doing this earlier and earlier every year, yeah. and uh there's really no excuse for this much commercialization this soon
0: yeah, it's kind of weird i mean i I've been a purist before. And I still am mostly because I believe that calendars are given to us for a reason, you know, a way to mark time. And when we're kind of celebrating things too soon, we're wishing we were where it's just not, and therefore we're missing the season we're in. Mm. At the same time, I get it whenever the need calls for it. For example, a couple of years ago during COVID, I remember feeling this like, I want my lights up now. And it was November 1st. And I think there was a reason for that. I think we needed a yeah. little bit of that. But I think by and large, we humans are pretty terrible at being patient and about um delayed gratification. And yet yeah. that's truly what Advent is about. And Advent being the new year of the liturgical calendar, to me, it's it's kind of um the time of year when I'm staring the whole concept of a liturgical calendar in the face and remembering why it's good for me, even yeah. if it doesn't, feel like it's that necessary or that it kind of feels man-made or even maybe just arbitrary I don't know
1: mm-hmm. so tell me but this this is, mm-hmm. this is a ahead. question that I have for you as uh, I I consider you my resident expert on the liturgical calendar um, for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons one um, I really like my priests a lot both of them they're amazing people and um, but I always feel a little bit stupid asking them questions about things like the liturgical calendar. So I just—it's just a pure shame reflex. Yeah, just pure shame. It. Just don't talk yeah, to them because yeah. of shame. Yeah. Um. But the other reason is because you've written two books mm-hmm. on liturgical calendar ish issues. Is that is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's two. I think, I think there's a third one that you should write, but we can talk about that later. Um. So tell me, what is it about in your? In your experience, your research, what is it about the heart of man that needs, or the heart of people to be less sexist, um, that needs some sort of a a demarcation of time? Mm -hmm.
0: We've always marked time, we meaning humans. So this is not a recent concept. It's not a liturgical calendar, you know, post-Jesus concept. We have always marked time, whether it's through liturgies, or some sort of rhythm, or some sort of rite of passage, or some sort of season. It's just how it is. And the reason it is how it is, is because it's how God made the world. We have, you know, cyclical seasons, like literal seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall. And So, and then they repeat. It's not like God invents new seasons every year. It's the same thing again and again and again. And so we humans lean into the concept that God's already laid out for us in the seasons. You know, when we can see that it snows and we see that wildflowers bloom, but those don't happen at the same time and they take their turn. Um, Mm. it's like it's how God made the world. And so therefore Mm. we're, we're leaning into it because it's hardwired. That doesn't mean we didn't like make decisions, we meaning humans that, you know, we've just decided collectively. And that that's definitely a thing. But it would be weird not to have some form of calendar for marking time. And whether we're aware of it or not, we all have a liturgical calendar. So we have the like official one that we're talking about, right, where the New Year starts with Advent. And it follows a 12 month season, roughly. Um, But, you know, people have Super Bowl Sunday and Fourth of July, and the season when it feels right to first grill outside and first days of school rituals and our own personal quirks, you know, that we like to do to mark time. So we all have these rhythms in us. It's very normal.
1: Is there any. People group that you know of that doesn't somehow mark time?
0: As far as I know, no, because even the non Western, you know, less familiar cultures that we know of have forms of rites of passage and have ways to mark um, kind of seasons of our lives. Like you're a boy, now you're a man, or you're unmarried, now you're married. Like these are all, if you think about it, ways to mark the passing of life. You know, in our weird this side of the veil existence, time is linear, even though it's also kind of cyclical, which is sort of what the liturgical calendar acknowledges. And so it feels right and just, it feels the way we're supposed to be when we have calendars. And so the beauty of the liturgical calendar is that we're acknowledging that those of us who exist in Christendom, we share time. We share seasons. And that's pretty cool because there's a lot of other things that we might not agree on, but we can at yeah. least collectively look at a calendar and say we all agree that this is this, you know, the second Tuesday of Advent or whatever.
1: But can we all agree? That's the bigger question. So, <laughs> that is true. Maybe we can't. <laughs> so so here here's the foundational question, I guess, then. Um, what is the liturgical? calendar, uh, in your experience, like speaking, writing, toying with it, doing all the things that you do, playing with it as you do, as one does, mm-hmm. as um, one does. what are the things that you've seen about it that are sort of, um, I don't know, cross-denominational? I don't know if that's the right word, but like generally applicable throughout all Christian culture. Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the things that you see that are kind of different? So one, what is it to... <laughs> What do what we hold in common about it? And three, uh, what do we not hold in common? What do we think is different? Okay,
0: Yeah, yeah, big questions. Well, okay, so the word liturgy, right, just means the work of the people. So I think it's important to remember we all have a liturgy. So even the low church Protestants among us have a liturgy. We just might not call it a liturgy. Hmm. Um, and so when we go to church on Sunday, you have perhaps – a rhythm that you acknowledge in your services or in the way mm-hmm. you walk into church and in the way you leave and the way you go to Sunday school, the way you get coffee and donuts, whatever it is, that's a liturgy. Um, and then those of us who are maybe on the other spectrum, like you and me, where we are more high church and we're Catholic, we have a very structured rhythmic liturgy that we acknowledge is such a thing, but we all have it. We also, like I was saying earlier, have a liturgy in our lives. So, Mm. um, you know, a rhythm to our days that feel familiar because we humans need that. If we had to invent new ways of doing things every single day, we would like keel over and die. So we need these rhythms. We're made for routine and repetition, right? Um, So a liturgical calendar is the churches like capital C churches way of marking time. And we've chosen, and then I say we, I had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. It's been around a long time. <laughs> Start decided that it starts with Advent. So Advent mm-hmm. is kind of the new year, right? The first Sunday of Advent is sort of the happy new year of the church calendar. Um, and so we follow this cycle that goes from there, from the first Sunday of Advent all the way to Christ the King Sunday which is the Sunday before the first Sunday of Advent, because that's the last Sunday of the liturgical calendar. And we remember the same things every, mm. every week in many ways. Mm-hmm. And that's good for us. We need that. Um, You said, remind me, you said, what do we all have in common regarding the calendar? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I
1: mean, you said we can all agree on, this is something we can all agree on. And yet, growing up the way I grew up, we could not all agree on this because we did not have Advent. So what what do you see as um, sort of the things that we do hold in common? And, and by that, I mean, like, even what are some of the things that you're seeing, you know, just general churches adopt that maybe in our youth they didn't really adopt? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So when I say we can all agree, it doesn't mean necessarily we all acknowledge something. Truth is truth, even if we don't Decide it's true, meaning it it exists apart from our awareness of it or admittance of it. And I'm not necessarily implying that the litur- liturgical calendar is on par with the concept of truth as an <laughs> as a metaphysical existential thought. But what I mean is, the first Sunday of Advent marks the liturgical calendar for all of us, and we are welcome. To lean into that as a way to mark time, no matter who we are. So there's Mm. not some sort of like card ID you need to show in order to participate. It's for everybody. Um, So a lot of us acknowledge certain days. If we're Christians, a lot of us acknowledge certain familiar days and we don't realize they're part of the calendar and the ones that come to mind are Christmas and Easter. Those are part of the liturgical calendar. Um, we just know of them as December 25th and I forget how we do Easter, something solstice, lunar, something, something, something Easter. Yeah. Something Easter. Um, but we all decide it's not like I say, I mean, yeah, we have our like, Oh, you know, Aunt Mabel's out of town, so we're gonna do family dinner for Easter next Tuesday instead. But we're not all just like saying, "Well, fine, Easter is that Sunday for you, but for me, it's gonna be here." Not really. I mean, yeah. we can get into yeah. the whole Orthodox thing, Gregorian, Julian, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. So we all f- participate in these seasons, even people who don't, you know, call themselves Christians, acknowledge that Christmas is December twenty fifth. That's yeah. a thing. You yeah. know, so for what it's worth, that's how we in the West and in the modern era mark our time. You know, yeah. we call this 2022 because it's 2025, 28 years after the birth of Christ because we screwed it up or whatever. Um, we call December 25th Christmas because that's what we decided in the calendar. And so we have that in common. We have our rhythms in common. Um the way we may, perhaps don't have the calendar in common is simply some of us acknowledge the days that fall in between the more familiar ones like Christmas and Easter than others. And that's okay. Both, you know, I'm not here to imply that you're not a Christian if you don't, you know, acknowledge the, you know, immaculate conception. But that is part of the liturgical calendar, and it just is, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. Christ the King Sunday, which is this coming Sunday, for instance, Gosh. last Sunday yeah. of the year. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. That's a good point. I think one of the things that I've noticed, um, and I noticed this particularly, you know, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, it seemed that the churches that I attended, which were not Catholic churches, um, were beginning to adopt. Advent practices, and now you Mm -hmm. see like some really robust Advent practices. I think of there's that church in Portland, Imago Day, that has the Advent conspiracy. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I remember that. You know, Mm -hmm. like you give your money away to 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 the oppressed during that season. It's a really good way to focus your effort and your time and your attention. And it's a huge, it, well, it was a huge church. I don't know if it still is, but um, but it seemed like, you know, non-Catholic, non-liturgical, non-Anglican churches across the country were beginning to sort of uh, more and more practice uh, Advent 10 years ago. And I think that trend's pretty much continued. I mean, I think yeah. most of the major churches here um, celebrate some form of Advent. What's fascinating yeah. to me and what I'd love to hear your take on is is I haven't seen that same trend with respect to Lent. Have you seen Mm -hmm. that? I mean, are churches that are non-liturgical practicing Lent these days? I mean, you have a Lent book. Did a bunch of (laughs) non-liturgical churches buy your Lent book?
0: Yeah, I would say... Advent is a little bit more accepted as a practice in the official church services, like the officially official non-denominational or, you know, non-Catholic, non-high church parishes, local churches, whatever they're called when they're not, you know. Of our ilk, Um, but less so with Lent. But I will say individuals are more intrigued by Lent than they have been. So, you know, just Mm. your average non denominational evangelical might be more intrigued by Lent than they used to be, you know, five years ago, even. Advent is so, I don't want to say commonplace in a negative way. Commonplace to me is a good word um, in the Church right now that it's not that weird anymore. In fact, this morning I was at three hundred nine working, and um, one of the baristas said, "Like, hey, dusted your book off. I'm excited about it. You know, Advent's Mm. coming up, and and she's not. I mean, she's very, you know, she goes to this like house church kind of thing, and so yeah." They're not structured remotely like my churches, Um, And yet that's not weird. When I was growing up, Advent was that wreath kind of off to the side that we would yeah. acknowledge. And they were the, the grocery store calendars with the little punch out, you know, things yeah. with the chocolate in it. And that was about all I knew. Now I feel like many people know at least what Advent is, even if they don't know how it's different than Christmas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So – for the reader who wants to really understand Advent or the listener who wants to understand Advent. See, you can tell that we're really writers because I always I say the reader <laughs> and I'm like, nah, I do every yeah, it's the listener. Yeah. Um, so for those, for those people out there who are listening, who want to know more about Advent, like what are some of the resources that you have found to be just like most helpful?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it's helpful. <laughs> I mean, Obviously, I'm going to shamelessly plug my book, Shadow and Light. But the reason I wrote the book I did was because I was looking for a type of resource that didn't exist. So it depends on the stage of life you're in, I think. But my stage of life continues to be kids at home, yet I want something that appeals to all of us, adult and teenager and younger kid alike, and something that acknowledges our real modern day life, meaning it's not going to ask me to like go out into the woods and whittle some kind of (laughs) something. And I I don't even know where that came from. You know, insert your example here of an unrealistic to do list for Christmas (laughs) or for the holidays, right? Um, I I needed something open and go. I needed something where you could like flip the page. And even if you had to skip four or five days, you could just open it. So for me, that is a resource for just like going through the time of Advent is huge. But in terms yeah. of just generally acknowledging Advent in my day to day, I think the two things that I added to the book that I think are so meaningful to me that really helped me lean, in, lean into Advent is music and art. Mm-hmm. Um, visual art, meaning I know music is a type of art. Uh, so, we all know of Christmas music. We can all sing it from heart. We all know of Maria Carey and George Michael. You know, we can just, it comes in our head in July and we acknowledge it. But there's a lot of Advent-ish music out there that we deprive ourselves from, of if we just mainline, all I want for Christmas is you nonstop. And so for me, music is a great resource for for helping me lean into the anticipatory posture of Advent, you know, mm. where we've got artists singing about the waiting for Christ. We are they're they're singing about the hard of the season, you know, which Advent acknowledges that it's not just a feast. It's a it's not quite as penitentiary. Is that the word? Penitential? Penitentiary is a prison. <laughs>
1: Same word, I'm sure. You're I'm not sure. going to prison during Advent. That is one hundred percent sure.
0: Yeah. Well, either way, um, it's not quite as penitential as Lent, but there's still a little bit of that. It's acknowledging the already not yetness of our life and that things are hard. And music invites that posture, I think, when you play it at the right time. And so I'm not implying don't play Christmas music. I'm not a purist in that regard. But don't deprive yourself of really good Advent music at the expense of just the Frosty the Snowman stuff. Yeah. Um, so I know that's probably not what you meant by resource, but for me, those are the resources that really help. I think because we yeah. we kind of long for some of that, especially in the holidays. Um, you know, less mind research and more soul filling. You know, um, I don't know, experiential perhaps is what mm. we're longing for during. During Advent, more than just sitting down with a textbook, uh, what's helped you for Advent? I'm curious because I feel like sometimes I'm the one that talks about Advent all the time, but I want to know what y'all's experience is.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think for us, I, I mean, I think for me anyway, the the big book that opened my eyes to what is the liturgical calendar in general was uh, Joan Chittister's book, The Liturgical Year, which I still, mm-hmm. I still yeah. love, and I have on my Kindle, and from time to time I'll, I'll take a peek at. But I also think just like every year entering back into the readings for Advent is super helpful. Um, This year I won't be doing that because I'm doing something else, but just every day sort of sitting down and putting yourself in the way of um, the church readings, the liturgical readings, which Catholics, Anglicans, um, many, many liturgical groups sort of hold in common. So it's not hard to find uh, the calendar year readings. But I think that that's a great resource too to help you sort of in, put in your body, put your body in the way of this idea of Advent um, because mm-hmm. a lot of those passages will be about anticipa- anticipation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But I would tell folks, like if you're curious about what is the liturgical year and how do I better understand it, I mean, go get uh, The Liturgical Year by Joan Chittister. Um, I'm sure there are other books that I've read that I really liked. I can't think of any right now though.
0: Another book is Living the Christian Year. The subtitle is Time to Inhabit the Story of God by Bobby Gross. I believe he's Anglican. I remember first hearing about it when we started going to our Anglican church. And it's really good. It It is, I don't want to say it's simple, but it doesn't assume you know much about the liturgical calendar. And that was very helpful when we first mm. started kind of leaning into it. So yeah, yeah, I'll put links to these resources in the show notes because I think a lot of people still want to know more and are maybe even a little, I don't want to say they're embarrassed, but they don't know where to begin. And they, yeah. they feel like they should know more than they do. And it's totally okay that you don't, especially if you grew up in environments like you and me, where it just wasn't emphasized. It wasn't like we no. were anti-liturgical calendar. Yeah, it just totally. didn't come up. You
1: know yeah I remember the first time I really celebrated Advent. I was in the fourth or fifth grade. I was in uh you know Catholic school, and I was like, What is happening? And it was the same <laughs> with Lent. I had no idea. I remember the first time I went to an Ash Wednesday service, and I was like, I don't understand why somebody wants to smudge dirt on my head um, mm-hmm. so it's just it you know it is it's one of those things like if it's outside your experience, it's it you yep. may not make a lot of sense, but this is something that the church has done for a really long time. So, it's worth at least looking yeah. into and getting a little knowledge yeah. about. I also remember that there's a really phenomenal book of poetry, and I think you might know about this too. It's Malcolm Geith's, uh what's it called? Sounding the Seasons? Is that what it's called?
0: Uh, yeah, something like that. you uh, can look it up, I yes.
1: I love that. And it's essentially mm-hmm. sonnets that sort of Cycle the the calendar. So if you're into poetry and yeah. you're into the liturgical calendar, you should get that book too. Um, he yep. is he's a great one.
0: It is sounding the seasons, seventy sonnets for the Christian year. It is fantastic. Yeah,
1: fantastic, um, fan friggin' tastic.
0: <laughs> I think it, what you said is really true, and I I are I know I already mentioned this, but it bears repeating. You don't need some sort of invitation, personal invitation to. Participate in this. I think when I was non denominational evangelical, I would hear about Advent and Lent, and I almost felt a little I don't want to say scared, but I felt like I wasn't allowed in or something like that was for them, not me, even if I was interested. And that's just not the case. So even if you go to a church that doesn't recognize them, you are welcome to do something at home. You know, like whenever people get shadow and light, I really make an emphasis like I I give you five things to do every day, like pick one or pick two. Do yeah, not feel like yeah. you have to do all the things, but do do the things at home that you want. I would also add along with reading about the calendar year at large to lean into a little bit of that. Um, I don't want to say the somber mood of Advent because I get that it's also fun to go to Christmas parties and and stuff. So I'm not implying like don't show up to that kind of stuff, but do what you can at home to delay the festiveness i'm making up words left and right the festivitiness whatever <laughs> of christmas um maybe that just means eating a little simpler perhaps that means doing kind of a lenty like fast but not not hardcore or anything you know maybe that means like no m- meat on fridays if that's not a thing yeah. you do or 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 pause the sugary overload until christmas and then one of the reasons it's really fun is because then you've got 12 days of christmas Um, whereas like when we didn't acknowledge Advent, we did Christmas starting, you know, basically the day after Thanksgiving or maybe that evening of Thanksgiving. So by the time December 25th came around, you were sick of it. Like I remember my parents wanting to take down the tree, like December 26th or 7th. Um, but this way, if you kind of just delay some of that, then by the time December 25th rolls around, you're not sick of it yet. And you can press on to January 5th for epiphany.
1: Epiphany. And maybe we should talk about that at the end of December. Yeah. We'll talk about Epiphany. We'll share all of our epiphanies about Epiphany.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's That's actually a really cool, I think, unsung hero of the liturgical calendar, Epiphany. It's, it's pretty uh, unique and different
1: and kind of fun. Anyway. Well, listeners, prepare yourself. Begin your research <laughs> on Epiphany so that at the end of yeah. December, you're not completely lost when Tish goes on her Epiphany rampage.
0: You're making it sound like like I know more than I do. (laughs) I have like like a a minute, 30 seconds.
1: That was like a trailer for an episode that's probably not going to happen. Just In a world where.
0: Right. right. I was going to say, because I have a minute, 30 seconds probably to say about Epiphany. It's not like I have that much. It's just kind of a, a season that we forget about most of the time.
1: Yeah. Well, as a brief segue, um, Mm -hmm. you know, my sons and I do this thing. Um, We have a fake movie that we've created in our (laughs) heads. And sometimes we'll pass something and we'll be like, that should be in our movie. And our movie is an action horror thriller, (laughs) which is a bunch of genres just kind of crammed together. And it's called Meat Hooks and Machine Guns. (laughs) and so a lot of times we'll go by an old church you know or an old building and say in a world with an empty building there was a man (laughs) on a rampage and then we'll go on this whole thing and it'll end up with meat hooks and machine guns i'm i'm assuming there's no romance in this particular there's no romance it's the most boy movie of all time
0: yeah it sounds like a it was invented in a house with four boys Mm-hmm. It
1: was invented in a car, actually, <laughs> with four five boys, if you count me, which I do. So
0: Amber probably does many times. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: she does too, and and she had no input on the. Um, o- she has had no input on the ongoing plot structure of meat hooks and machine guns. So <laughs> if there are any producers out there that want to make an amazing film, um, you know, you know where to hit me up. Uh, Tish will yeah. be my agent. You can you well can deal with her.
0: I was going to say, remind me to skip that one, because <laughs> that sounds like the opposite of the kind well, of movie I watch.
1: I just enlisted you as my agent, so you can't skip it. Yeah. So I'm speaking bound. of movies yeah. and being my agent, tell me, what is one movie or book or piece of art mm. or food or drink or whatever that's bringing some goodness, truth, and beauty to your life?
0: There's actually a lot right now, um, but I'm going to pick an audio book and then talk about maybe some of the other stuff in future upcoming episodes. So Kyle and I are both reading an audio book right now that was recommended from our mutual friend, Bond strong. She texted me and said, um, that she and Reese are her husband are reading this together and thought that we would like it. And so far she's right. And I think you would like it too. It is Mm. called the comfort crisis by Michael Easter. I had never heard of it, but when I pulled it up, it's got like thousands and thousands of good reviews. So I feel like I'm the one that's not in the know. Um, Have you heard of it?
1: No. Tell me more.
0: Okay. So it's nonfiction, but story driven. And um, I'll read you a little bit of the description. It says, Uh, we're more comfortable than ever before, but could our sheltered, temperature controlled, overfed, under challenged lives actually be the leading cause of many of our most urgent physical and mental health issues? Um, that's kind of the, the base concept. And so it's this writer who basically decides to take on these, like follow along these adventurer types who participate. They're not so much a rite of passage, um, events, but they're sort of annual pilgrimages they take to, kind of show themselves that they can do way more than they can think they do. And I cannot mm. remember the name, the Japanese word, but it's this concept of doing something that you very well may fail out. In fact, the odds of you failing are higher than you succeeding. Mm. And so it follows him doing this one in particular where he's, go- he's following this guy up in the Arctic tundra um, going caribou hunting and they are living very minimally and they're spending a month up there. And you know, eating almost nothing and stalking a, I don't know what you, a herd, a herd of caribou. And in between, he's, he's giving some scientific info about the way we eat, the way we move, the way we sleep, the way we um just kind of shun grit in our modern life. And it's been really, really good. Um, I've been thinking a lot about grit this year, I think kind of post-COVID and in working with a lot of Gen Z students just the need for grit in our in our postmodern era. And that's a whole other topic. But anyway, the comfort crisis really gets into that and why Mm. we need to be more uncomfortable in our daily life. So it's really good. So I'll put a link in the show notes.
1: You know I'm all about that. This is why I Mm -hmm. I think that people need to do things like run 50 milers or do extended CrossFit workouts or row for an hour or... Whatever. I'm sure that there's some mental version of that also um, that we could talk about. But I'm a huge proponent of the fact that failure and discomfort are really the only way to um, live a fulfilled life. I I firmly believe that. I've done zero research on that. Um, I've written zero words on it, but I firmly believe it from my personal experience.
0: Yeah, I think there's something really true about that and we'll probably talk about more about it more because I can't get off uh, get away from the topic of grit these days. I think it's yeah. so 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 important right now. It's a virtue that we don't we don't embrace nearly enough anymore. Okay, how about you? What's something adding more beauty
1: to your days? I have been listening to Madison Cunningham. Do you know Madison Cunningham? I don't. Um she's a very interesting figure To me, from what I can surmise, she kind of came up through—I don't know, best I can tell—she kind of came up through some worship scene that I don't, not connected to or in any way familiar with. Because I did kind of a deep dive trying to figure out where she was from, and I found some old pictures of her, like leading at churches. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, just Mm -hmm. in a circle that I was unfamiliar with. Um, But she's not doing any sort of like Christian music. She's a secular songwriter. Um, And I have loved it because she's a great writer, first of all, but her guitar tone is bringing beauty into my life. It is so Mm. good. Um, And it really has, I mean, I'm not saying that her voice isn't great. I'm not saying that her lyrics aren't great. They are. Um, But if you strip all that away and just listen to her guitar and her guitar tone, it is, it truly makes me happy. So I really don't have anything to say about it other than you should go listen to Madison Cunningham. And the best that your ear can do, you should try to isolate the guitar tone and it'll make you happy.
0: Okay. So as a music aficionado, but not a player, what is guitar tone? What are you referring to?
1: Yeah. So, um, when you think about like electric guitar or acoustic guitar, either one, like every guitar has its own different voicing or shape. So pretty much when I'm listening to music, I can tell who's playing a Martin or who's playing a Taylor, uh, just based on the, yeah, just based on the tone in, in electric guitar, it's a little bit different. You can do that to some degree. I'm not as good at it because I don't play as much electric guitar. But when people are running it through like different effects pedals, you'll hear like a slight chorus effect or a warble or a different kind of distortion or, you (laughs) know, a different kind of fuzz or whatever. And her tones are really clean, but slightly warbly and kind of chorusy. And they just really sing. They're just like, when you listen to them, you'll know exactly what I just described. You'll be like, Oh yeah, there it is. And then sometimes when she adds distortion on it, you can still pick up those underlying tones. Sure. Um, whereas like if you were to listen to like, I don't know, Metallica, they have a certain tone to the guitar, right? It's like pretty distorted, fairly heavy, mostly power cordy. Anyway, all the guitar nerds yeah. out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, that's what I listen for. Okay. Is, like, is there something about that guitar that makes me sit up straight and say, oh, wow, that's interesting.
0: I think I know what you mean. I just didn't know that I knew what you meant, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. So cool. yeah, all listen right. to Madison Cunningham listener to guitar tone and then uh tell her I sent you. I don't know. You <laughs> can't tell her anything, but whatever. No,
0: that makes no sense. All right. I will yeah, um give it a listen this afternoon. Cool. All right, well thanks. All right, all guys. Right. Well, it's time to wrap this chat up. You can find this episode as well as all our episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com. Where you can also find how to help support the show by picking up the next round of drinks. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you?
1: Old Substack. Go to Substack. No, Seth Haynes. Shoot, dead gum. I always forget this. Go to Seth Haynes. <laughs> dot Substack.com.
0: Dot yeah.
1: You got it. All right. It's it or just Google my name in Substack and you'll find
0: it. Or you know what, Seth, you can just say SethHaines.com because don't you have a link there? That's so what enough, I do.
1: <laughs> but it's you kinda have to backdoor it. But yeah, that you can uh, do that.
0: Okay. Either way. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. I'm Tish Oxenrider with Seth Haynes and we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.